So I was at my mom's house. Yeah, y'all can go just this way through those doors. Well, one of y'all walk and make sure they get there. Thank you. I know I need help getting from one room to another, so I can only imagine how they're still. So I was at my mom's house this week, and she's been wanting me to, to see this movie, and when it was in theaters, I never went and saw it with her because I'm a bad kid. I'm, I know she's watching the live stream, so I'm confessing to her. It's 12 Mighty Orphans, right? Maybe you've read the book. Read the book first. The movie's okay. The book's really, really good. It tells the story of the rise of the new football team at Fort Worth's Masonic home, the Mighty Mites, in the 1930s, right? And I don't know if you're a Fort Worth history buff. Like, I, y'all know I love Fort Worth, right? Well, this, this football team of 12 Mighty Orphans took the world by storm, covers of magazines, President Roosevelt listened to the games at the White House, like he was a fan. So it tells this story. Um, And there's scenes from all around Fort Worth. They did the filming around here, so it's also cool in that way. But but so when the movie starts, Rusty Russell, who's this high school football coach who had been hired, he and his wife had been hired to come teach at this school, and he was to set up a football team. Because one of the supporters, one of the Masons, um, really wanted this home to have a football team, right? Because what school in Texas doesn't have a football team? <laughs> and so they found this guy who was coaching in a small town, and they really liked, you know, kind of his, his style. And they somehow convinced him to move his whole family and come live in, like, this ramshackle dorm and, and try to do this football team. So then, right, the movie kind of shows what you can imagine when uh, – young couple and their kids show up at this place and like it's an orphanage with all that entails back in the 20s and 30s and kind of the care that was taken in those places and then he shows up to to football to the football field supposedly and he looks out and like it's rocks everywhere it's unlevel right? Like fever plays over there and it's like, it's a pretty flat field, but still like, I'm kind of surprised that that's a soccer field over there and that's in decent shape. You can imagine what this untended land would be. And then, so these students, these kids come up and he, the coach notices when they first show up, none of them are wearing shoes, right? And Doc, who's the Martin Sheen character in the movie, He says, well, coach, we have two seasons at this home. We have the season where you wear shoes and the season where you don't wear shoes, right? And this happened to be the season where they didn't wear shoes. And so they practiced for the first part of the season with no shoes on this rocky field, right? And as the story goes on, there's a lot that gets involved. And, you know, he starts with this group of guys. And Coach Russell says, who here has ever played football? Silence, right? So I'm sure this coach is thinking, I'm sure this coach's wife is thinking, what in the world? And then he says, so, okay, you haven't played football. Who here has touched a football? It's silence. And then one kid is like, like maybe he didn't know if he ever had, like maybe he accidentally touched one one day. <laughs> so then this coach is realizing I've got to start at the beginning. And then, right, the, the movie gets its name because what starts out is not a huge group, 
but it gets whittled down because a lot of people don't want to play on rocky fields in their bare feet, right? Gets whittled down because the UIL got involved. Right? I was a high school athlete in Texas. No one really likes the UIL. You know, 90 years ago, people didn't like the UIL. But anyway, through all these trials and tribulations, they end up with 12 players, these 12 mighty mites, these 12 mighty orphans. And if you know anything about football, it takes 11 people, right? And so at any given time, one of these guys was going to be able to catch his breath. As the story goes on, there's injuries until the end of the season and like no one gets to take any time off. But all that gets ahead of the story. I want to go back to Coach Russell and Doc, the assistant, the doctor at the school on that first day. They get these boys lined up, right? Kind of five on five, offensive, defensive lines squared against one another. And the coaches have to get down there in the dirt and like position them. They have to teach them how to, here's a three-point stance and here's what you do and all of this. And they think they have it ready. And then Doc says, hike. And nobody moves. <laughs> they didn't even know what started the plays. Right. And so they have to like, not only do we have to teach how to throw and catch a football, not only do we have to teach the positions, we have to teach them what it even takes to get started. And so this is an essence of a coach who had had success in the high school ranks before. He found himself in a place where he has to start at the beginning. So that came to mind this week as I was reading this gospel. And this is where the action really gets started in Luke's gospel. Right? Much of Luke's gospel up to this point had been the birth narrative and Jesus, some of Jesus' early interactions, like him going off by himself, him meeting people who would become his followers, him calling people who would become his followers. And then just immediately before where our gospel reading picks up today, Jesus had been up in a mountain praying. Right? And then he had come down the mountain right before this, he had picked, he had all these followers around him, all these people, right? And he picked his team. He picked 12 of them. Right? And then we pick up where we were today. Jesus starts to get to work. And this is just an aside, but, you know, we got a bunch of scouts over here. And it's interesting to me, the, the order in which Jesus does this, like picking up just before our gospel and then into our gospel, right? Jesus was up on the mountain praying. He was preparing. And then he came down the mountain. He assembled his team. And then he got to work, right? Like if you're like me, a lot of times like I dive into the work and then I'm like, oh, maybe I need some help, people. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I actually need to do a little more preparation, if you're like me, maybe we get things a little backwards. But for any eagles over here, like you know that's not how it goes, right? And for you scouts who have been a part of anything that you do in scouting, you know that be prepared, right? That's number one. So the preparation that Jesus did on his own when he was in the wilderness, when he was on the mountain praying, right, that's where we started. And then he comes down and he assembles his team. Y'all are in a troop. Y'all are in patrols. You have your team. Right? And only then, once you've 
prepared yourself, once you're part of a team, only then can the work actually happen. So that's just a little bit for the scouts and maybe for y'all too, if you're like me and you sometimes get the order of things wrong. But then when Jesus gets to work, he realizes he too, like Coach Russell on that rocky field, has to start at the very beginning because people had had it all wrong. And Jesus starts off, what we read today in the gospel sounds a lot like the Beatitudes that we hear in Matthew. But like there's a flip side thrown in. It's not just blessed, blessed, blessed. There's also the woe, the warnings. Right? So here Jesus is hearkening back. Back in the book called Deuteronomy and the First Testament, right? there were all these lists of blessings and curses, of blessings and woes. Blessed are these things and woe to these things. And it's always blessed to the positive characteristics and woe to the evil characteristics. Right? And so Jesus is taking those blessings and woes that his new team these apostles would know, and he's really turning it on his head. Right? And so this new work Jesus is doing is laying out the vision that God has for the world, that Jesus is helping to usher into the world, and it probably sounds a lot like an upside-down vision. Or maybe it's a right-side-up vision, and the world has just been operating in an upside-down way. Because Jesus doesn't start saying, blessed are the rich and powerful. Blessed are those who have everything. Blessed are the people who have it all together. And woe to you people that are sad and sorry and hungry. Woe to you who are orphans. That's how the world tends to operate. When the world is operating upside down. But Jesus here starts at the beginning and says, blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are hated and reviled and outcast. Blessed are the orphans. And woe to you who think you have everything. Woe to you who think you can eat everything you want. Woe to you who want to take and take and take. Woe to you who think you're the center of the universe. Jesus is turning the world upside down. And he's starting with these 12. And he's starting at the very beginning. But the thing that I noticed when I read this isn't the blessings, isn't the woes. It isn't any of that. What I noticed is verse 20, before Jesus even starts the teaching. It's a simple thing that he does. Our gospel tells us Jesus looked up at them. And this isn't just merely stage direction. This just isn't just Luke like telling us where Jesus was sitting and what he was doing. Although, right, like Jesus understood sound dynamics. And so he stood at a down place and people stood on a hillside so he could speak up. And so sound could get around, right, because he didn't have a microphone. Like if you look, like I hate doing Greek study because like if the preacher starts to get into the Greek, like everyone just their eyes glaze over. My, well, my eyes glaze over. Y'all don't want me to do the group. But this one's interesting. Right? Because this isn't a word that just connotes like looking at, like seeing something. This, when it says Jesus looked, it's, it's a word that also means lifted up or raised up or encouraged. Jesus stood at this level place 
his disciples in front of him, and he looked them in the eye. Jesus stood at this level place, his followers gathered around, and he looked them all in the eye. He encouraged them. He lifted them up. Back to the movie and Coach Russell, one thing that's evident throughout the movie is that it's important to Coach Russell that he knew that his players were seen. You can imagine folks who've lived most of their life in one bed surrounded by 30 other beds in a row, showering in a group shower, doing all these things that orphans of those days did. They probably thought that no one really saw them. And so Coach Russell, one thing he did is he would look these boys in the eye and he would tell them, you're more than your circumstances. You're more than what the world says you are. You're more than even what you think you are. And you can be so much more because I believe in you, Coach Russell said. So that act of looking these boys in the eye, of seeing them, It raised them up. It encouraged them. And Jesus does that for us. Here in our gospel passage, Jesus stands at this level place and looks his disciples square in the eye. Here today in this place, Jesus stands in front of us and looks at us in the eye. Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us when we're poor, and Jesus sees us when we're rich. Jesus sees us when we're hungry, and Jesus sees us when we're well-filled. Jesus sees us when we're mourning, and Jesus sees us when we're laughing. Jesus sees us. And there's nothing we can do to hide. There's nothing we can do to change the fact that Jesus sees us. In this movie, you can imagine the hijinks that 12 knuckle-headed kids, boys, sorry, scouts, Is there 12 of y'all? Is this like an object lesson I can like line y'all? You can imagine the hijinks these boys get up to, right? There's fighting. There's peeking in the girl's dorm. They're sneaking out. There's even this one crazy scene where they catch one of the teacher's pant leg on fire. None of that changes the fact that Coach Russell saw them, believed in them, and encouraged them to be more than they thought they could be. There's nothing they could do that could change that. And there's nothing we can do to change the fact that God loves us. That God is with us. There's nothing in the world that can change the fact that God sees us. Amen.